The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. A copy of God's Word. Join me in Genesis chapter 15. We pick up where we left off last week as Abram is waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promises to him. This is where we found him last week, the first six verses of what is arguably one of the most important chapters in all of the scriptures. Just by way of reminder, Abram is waiting on the promises of God to provide for him an heir, an heir. Caleb, they weren't in my notes, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. This is, this is Abram now, probably ten years after the Lord God spoke to him in the earth of Chaldees to leave his father's house and go to a land that he would show him. And God makes this promise that he would make of Abram a, a great nation and that through Abram and through his offspring, he would bless all nations. And here's Abram waiting on the Lord for this offspring. You've given me no offspring. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. And then what is the hinge point on which all of the scriptures swing? Verse 6. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. God begins to unfold to a waiting humanity how it is that he is going about bringing justification to sinful humanity. And it is by faith and faith Alone, it is Abram's faith that is counted as righteousness, not any of his works. Well, this week we pick up in verse 7 in what is an equally important and an equally unbelievable passage of Scripture. As God Himself comes and makes a covenant with Abram, He, um, in, the, in the Hebrew language, literally, He cuts a covenant. God makes a covenant with a sinful man. 
we started a few weeks ago walking through the life of Abram. I think it's easy for us to mythologize this man into some godlike figure. He was not. He was a man of sin that regularly fell short of the glory of God, yet God was gracious to him. And we see God's grace in God taking Abram's faith and counting it as righteousness. That's all grace. And we see it this morning as God comes himself and makes a covenant with Abram, and it is a covenant of grace. The holy, majestic, creator of the universe, eternal, comes and makes covenant with sinful man. That's what we see this morning. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. If you're a note taker, here's some words that we'll hang an outline on to help us as we work through these verses together. We'll start off by seeing a struggle. And then we'll see a sacrifice. And then we'll see suffering. And then we'll see a substitute. And then lastly, we'll be reminded of the same. A struggle, a sacrifice, suffering, a substitute, and the same. Last week... As the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, Fear not, for I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Abram's question was about an offspring. It was about God's promise to provide um, for him an offspring. And that offspring had, had yet to come. And by all human inclination, the 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 biological clock has run out. So that was Abram's question. What about this offspring? Well, in this passage this week, his question is is not about the offspring. He has believed the Lord that the Lord would provide an offspring. His question isn't about the offspring. It's not about that part of the promise. Instead, this time the question is about a land, about the land, the land that God had promised him. Remember God's promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. If you go, I will show you a land. I will give to you a land, a land that's wrapped up in the promises of God. That's why it's called the promised land, because it's wrapped up in the promises of God that God had promised it to him. So that's where we find in Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, if you would look with me, verses 7 down to 21. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid them each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. As the word of the Lord comes to Abram, and what we have as verse 7, God reminds him who he is. He reminds him of his name. He says to him, I am the Lord. And he reminds him of what he has done. I am the one that has brought you out of Ur. This is God calling Abram to remember, to remember who it is that God is and what it is that God has done. This is a sort of a, a two-way call in the Lord, from the Lord to look back at what God has done and to look forward to what God has promised to do. I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then we find Abram in a struggle At this point, ten years have passed, and Abram has neither of the things that God has promised him. He does not have an heir, he does not have an offspring, and he has not taken possession of the land. While he is dwelling there, he's dwelling there in tents. And the Canaanites are still in the land. He does not possess this land. Neither of the things that God has promised to do, He has yet to do. And so Abram in this struggle asks of God in verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How can I know, Abram asks. This is a struggle of assurance from Abram. Because things aren't going for Abram the way that I'm sure he thought they would go. Right? I mean, we, we can all put ourselves in Abram's place. Imagine that God Himself comes and speaks to you and says, would you um, pack up your stuff and go? Just go. I'm going to show you where, but you just go and you trust me. And then 
You pack up your stuff and you take your family and you go and you see the Lord um, work some miraculous things. You see the Lord um, bring some plagues upon Pharaoh's house. And you leave Egypt when you never should have been there in the first place. But you, you leave there richer than you, you came. And then you see the Lord win a victory against armies and armies and armies of people. And you've got 350. So Abram's seeing God doing these incredible things. Yet he's struggling because things aren't going the way he thought they would. Surely, 10 years in, Abram thinks he's going to have an offspring and this land is going to be his. Now, we know Abram is a man of faith. There's no question about that. That that question was settled in the, the previous verses. But Abram is still struggling with how to unite his faith with his circumstances. How can I know is Abram's question. I think Abram, being a man of faith, believes it. But how can he be sure? I think probably we've all been in this place before. And we certainly will all be in this place again where we are struggling with how God's promises square with our circumstances, where we all find ourselves in a, in a period of waiting for God to do what we want Him to do or what we expect Him to do or what He has promised in His Word to do, yet our circumstances don't meet our expectations. And so we find ourselves waiting. And in the waiting, we find ourselves struggling with how we can know. I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly encouraging to look into God's Word and to see that Abram is struggling in the same ways that we struggle. That we're not alone in this struggle. That Abram's been in this struggle, and in this struggle, God comes and meets him. What great encouragement for us that in our struggles, God comes and meets us. Now, he doesn't meet us in the way that he meets Abram here, right? None of us are going to you know, go into a deep sleep this afternoon and a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass in front of us. I'm, I'm, I'm like 99 point, God can do whatever he wants to do, but I'm like 99.9% sure that's not going to happen. If it does, please, would you let us know? Your elders need to know. We need to have some conversations with you. Um, God speaks to Abram in his struggle. So don't read this and think, yeah, but God doesn't speak to us in our struggles. God has spoken to us in our troubles. He already has. He's spoken to us in our struggles. He's spoken to us in our unbelief. God's already gone on record of, the, of His faithfulness to His promises. We don't, we don't need these theophanies that Abram has. We have God's Word to encourage us. So God speaks to him, verse 9. And God says to Abram, Something for us, I think, would be strange. 
He says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That's all God says to Abram. Bring me these animals. A heifer, a female goat, a ram, two kinds of birds. Turtle dove and a young pigeon. That's, that's all God's instructions. But look at what Abram does in verse 10. He brought him all these. He cut them in half. He laid them each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. What we see from the text here is that Abram knew exactly what was happening here. He knew exactly what God was doing here. God did not have to tell him. He knew that what God was doing with him in this moment is that God was cutting a covenant with him. This is an ancient practice of two parties who would make a, a, a covenant, a contract, an agreement with one another. It is, this, this, is, this is not an arbitrary agreement. This is what would happen when two people enter into something that was incredibly serious. The way that they would ratify this, this covenant with one another is by taking these animals and cutting them in half. And they would lay these animals in sort of parallel lines. And then the two parties would pass between these animals together. This was called cutting a covenant. And what it symbolized was the seriousness of the covenant that is made to where the two parties would say, if, if I don't keep my end of the bargain... May what happened to these animals happen to me. May I be torn in two. May I be ripped limb from limb. That's how serious a covenant was in ancient days. And aren't you glad we just signed a sheet of paper? <laughs> serious. You, you see this confirmed, this practice confirmed in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. This was God giving His command to free slaves. And God's people going back on this covenant that they made with God to free these slaves. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and pass between its parts. It's God saying my righteous judgment will come upon them because they did not keep their part of the covenant. So just as they had torn those calves in half, I'm going to tear them in half. This is, this is the weight of a covenant. So Abram gets this command from God to do this, to get 
these animals and he knows in this moment, God is making a covenant with, with me. With me. And so, Abram cuts these animals in half, except for the birds, knowing that this is the sign that Abram has asked for so that he can know that God will do what he's promised to do. That's what God is saying. The, the way you can know, Abram, is I'm going to make a covenant with you. That's how serious I take, I take my promises. But this isn't just any ordinary covenant. Abraham did not realize it at the moment, but we realize it now. This is not just a covenant, but this is a sacrificial covenant. These are, these are animals of sacrifice. These are animals that in Leviticus are acceptable in the sacrificial system. Abram didn't understand that. We now understand that. But this just isn't just in any, any ordinary covenant. This isn't just any ordinary animals. This isn't just any ordinary slaughter. This is, this is a, a foreshadowing of a sacrificial system that is to come. You may ask why the birds were not cut in half. Um... A couple of potential potentialities here. Uh, one is maybe they're just a little too small to cut in half. That one's like, duh. Yeah, that makes sense. Here's the other is there's, there's some, some repetition here of 400 years and four generations. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. This, this represents um, suffering. And these, these, these animals are, are laid in these, these parallel lines. And the first one's cut in half, and the second one's cut in half, and the third one's cut in half, but the fourth and the fifth are not. Emblematic that this first generation's gonna suffer. The second generation's gonna suffer. This third generation is going to suffer. But by the fourth generation, the sufferings ceased. And they're coming into the promised land. So Abram cuts these animals in half for this covenant to happen. So what happens? Nothing happens. Nothing. Verse 11 and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So Abram cuts these animals in half, waiting on the Lord to come and to, 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 to seal this covenant with him. And he waits and he waits and he waits. And while he's waiting, birds of prey are coming down, trying to, trying to eat on these carcasses. And Abram is, is having to, to run them off, to chase them off. This goes on so long, verse 12, that the sun begins to go down and Abram begins to go to sleep. It, it gets late in the day. The sun goes down. Abram has, has you know, gone and gotten these animals. He's cut them in half. He's laid them apart. He's... He's been chasing these birds of prey away so much so now that it's nighttime and he is tired. And nothing's happened. And Abram is waiting. This is the passage of time that we see. 
Abram waiting for God to come and to seal the covenant. But nothing happens except that birds of prey come. What is this? Why, why is God waiting? Why are these birds coming? These are not just arbitrary things or Moses wouldn't have included them. What this is, is suffering prophesied. This is suffering prophesied. These birds of prey are emblematic of the kind of suffering that would come. As nations would come on God's people. As those who were unclean would come and try to take what God had promised to His people. This is God prophesying before Abram of how things are going to to happen. This is a picture that things are not going to go easily for God's people. This is the the realization for Abram that things are not going to happen as quickly as he thought they were going to happen. That the fulfillment of the promise would be long and drawn out and full of suffering. God confirms this this visual picture that that we have, this, this real life waiting that Abram has. God confirms that this is emblematic of suffering through His very Word. Pick up in verse 12. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This is a, this is a deep, deep, deep sleep. A, sort of a supernatural deep sleep. It's actually the same language that's used in the kind of sleep that, that um, Adam was in as God removed a rib and fashioned Eve. Verse 13. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. Know for certain. That your offspring is not immediately taking this land. You know, Abram said, how can I know that my offspring's getting this land? And God says, no, for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And that they will be servants there. And that they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God is revealing to Abram the future. And this is exactly what happens. This is exactly what takes place. What God is saying will happen is what happens as the people of God are held in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt. For 400 years until God works miraculously to bring them out and bring them to the promised land. God is is telling Abram, Abram, in wrapped up in these promises is a long season of suffering. Now that's not incredibly comforting. But what is comforting is to know that God knows the future. Isn't that comforting? And God knows exactly what's going to happen. 
What's even more comforting, to me at least, is not that God know, just simply knows the future, but that God orders the future. That's right. That He is sovereign over the affairs of, of man. And He is ordering things as He sees fit. So God tells Abram, Abram, that it will be through much suffering that your offspring and that my people will come into this promised land. Verse 15, and as for you, Abram, you won't. You're going to die. You're going to go to your fathers in peace. Now, we think that's sad that Abram won't get to see this promised land as rightfully his. But I would be encouraged if God said, Jason, you're going to die in peace. You know what I mean? You're going to go to your fathers in peace. Because Abram's not in peace right now. He's struggling. But you're going to die in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is, this is where we see God not only knows the future, but God is ordering the future. This is a weird verse. It's a, it's a weird phrase. This, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What is that? Um, so the Amorites is just another name for the, the Canaanites. These are the people who are living in the land of, of Canaan, this promised land. And this is God saying, eventually, I will drive these people out. I will crush them. And I will do it for two reasons. Number one, because I promised you, Abram, that I would. And number two, because they are sinful, wicked people. But up to this point, their sin had not yet grown to the point where God would take them out of the land. That their sin needed to grow. Now, I know I'm with you on this. Like, that's confusing to me. Why does God want their sin to grow? And it's not that God is desirous of their sin to grow. What God is desirous to do is to make it crystal clear that He is a God of righteous justice. And so as their iniquities, as their sins compound and grow and grow and grow, when God drives them out, it will be all the more clear to the rest of the world that God is a God of justice, that He is the one and only true God, and that those who bless the offspring of Abram will be blessed, and those who curse him will be cursed. And he wants to make it clear as the wickedness of the Amorites grows, so does God's judgment upon them. This, this, this promise of God here that when they come back in these iniquities of the Amorites and God's judgment, if, if you're like, wow, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I'd like to know about that. I've got really good news for you. Just read Joshua and Judges. That's what it is. It's there. 
So we've got this, this struggle of Abram. We've got this, this sacrifice of these animals. We've got this waiting for God to come. We've got this, this prophecy of suffering. And then God does the unthinkable. And he seals the covenant with a substitute. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God comes to make covenant with Abram. And he he comes in this imagery of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And I don't mean imagery as in just something Abram dreamed up or imagined. I mean, it was literally a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. I I think that's literally what happened. This, this This is what's called a theophany in the Old Testament. It's a God sighting in the Old Testament. It's God manifests himself here as a smoking furnace and a flaming torch. And so maybe you're like me and you're going, God, of all the things that you could be, you're a pot and a torch. This is weird. Why? Why? Well, they both represent some things. The smoking furnace, this, this fire pot, this a smoking furnace is what it is. It represents the furnaces of, of Egypt. Because what did the slaves do there? What God's people do there? They made bricks. They, they fired bricks in furnaces. So God comes in this, as this smoking furnace, as if to say, through those 400 years, though it may feel like I'm not with you, I'm with you. And then right beside it is a flaming torch, a burning lamp. This is emblematic of God's presence with his people. It always is. It's always a, a the, the flaming torch, a, a fire, a pillar of fire, is always emblematic of God's presence with his people. This is, this is the theophany, the way that God is revealing himself in the Exodus, leading the people of God. How is he leading the people of God? He's leading the people of God as a, as a, as a, a giant pillar of fire, a torch. So it's... God saying, I'm with you there in Egypt among those flaming fire pots and I will be with you in the Exodus as I leave you as a pillar of fire to guide you and I will be with you as I come my very self as the light of the world in Jesus Christ. So God makes a covenant with Abram, but this is a covenant unlike any other covenant. Because it's a covenant in where it is God and God alone that passes through the animals. What does Abram do in this covenant? Absolutely 
nothing. It is God and God alone that seals this covenant. And that's what takes this covenant beyond any other covenant. And here's what that means, because this is one of the most important things for us to ever understand. It means two things. It means first that God is saying that He will keep His promises, right? God is swearing a covenant. He's sealing a covenant. He's cutting a covenant with Abram. And in it, He is saying, Abram, this is how you can know for sure that this land will be your offsprings because I am passing through these animals. I am swearing to uphold my word, my end of the bargain. I am faithful to my promises. That's what it means. God is faithful to His promises. And we have all of the reasons that we could ever imagine to rejoice that God is faithful to His promises. But we have even more reason to rejoice that that's not all this means. Because it also means as God passes through by Himself, that He is willing to take the punishment for those who break the covenant. Abram does nothing. God says, I'll swear it for both of us. Abram, I'm willing to say that if I don't keep my end of the bargain, then may God Himself be torn in two. Oh, and by the way, Abram, if you don't keep your end of the bargain, then I'll take your punishment as well. And I'll be torn in two. What's the punish for, punishment for not keeping a covenant? Punishment's death. The punishment is that you become like the animals. The punishment is that you become the sacrifice. The punishment is that you give your life because of your unfaithfulness. And God does the unthinkable. And He says, Abram, if you don't keep your covenant, if your people don't keep your covenant, then I will in your place take the punishment. And God does exactly that. God provides a substitute to take the curse in Jesus Christ. Not only is God the faithful covenant keeper. He is also the curse bearer for those who break it. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What is the curse? The curse is death. The curse is what happens when you sin and fall short and you don't keep your end of the bargain. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. Christ became the lamb slaughtered for those who couldn't keep the covenant. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. You see, you see what Paul just did? He just tied the death of Christ on the cross in becoming the curse of sin to the promises of Abraham. Because they're the same. What we see in Genesis 15 is the gospel. It's God saying, I will go in your place to bear the curse that you can't afford to bear. Because it's by your faith that I've declared you righteous. This is the gospel in Genesis 15. This is the goodness of the grace of God saying, I will do what you cannot do and I will bear the punishment for you. Church, while this covenant was made with Abram, the exact same thing is true for us today. First, that we enter the promised land through much suffering. Make no mistake about it. Now, our promised land isn't the land of Canaan. It's not a physical piece of property in the Middle East. That's not our promised land. And while it was necessary for God's people to have a physical place so that they could be a, a, a people and a nation, that promised land was just a shadow of the ultimate promised land, which is the new heavens and the new earth as we dwell with God for all eternity. That's the promised land that we await. And just as God made it clear to Abram, Abram, it will be through much suffering and death that your offspring enter into the promised land. Church, the same thing is true for us today, that it will be through much suffering and death that we enter the promised land. But in this world, we will have troubles. That all those who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, we, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Remember Abram's question here, I've got no heir. Well, God's made heirs. He's made us heirs through faith. And the Spirit is testifying to our spirit that we are heirs. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. 
That is entering into the promised land of glorification through many sufferings. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Maybe you find yourself this morning in suffering. Take heart. God promised it. And he is with you. And he cares for you. And he loves you. And you will suffer much. And you will die. But God is faithful to his promises to bring you into a promised land. The same is true for us. It was true for Abram. We enter the promised land through much suffering. And then secondly, the same is true for us, that we are dependent on a substitute. Abram needed God to bear the weight of his sin. And so do you. We need a substitute. Make no mistake about it, God is a God of justice. And sin does not go unpunished. Either you will pay the punishment or that punishment will be laid on Jesus Christ and His righteousness counted to you by faith and faith alone. That's the only options. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Just as Abram needed a substitute, so do we. And that substitute is Jesus Christ, the flaming torch light of the world who became the curse, who became sin, who is the substitute, the sacrifice, the lamb torn in two. Because we fall short. And God offers forgiveness and righteousness by faith and faith alone. God, what glorious truth we find in your word this morning. The God of all glory came and made covenant with Abram, showing us that you are faithful to keep your promises and that you are gracious to take the punishment when we can't keep ours. How grateful we are this morning of the lamb that was slain the substitutionary atonement that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who in our place became the curse, who in our place became sin and took the punishment that we all deserve because of our rebellion, because of our unrighteousness, because of our wickedness, because of our sin. You became sin in our place. What good news. May we put our faith 
in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.